You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, CSPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And we got to start with AB again. Man, Fitz, it's not like I thought this story was going to go away, but I guess I didn't realize we were going to have the back and forth, the screen grabs of texts, the Home Alone photoshops, uh, the ba- you know, all of the drama. But I guess it's to be expected. AB has never gone away quietly in any of the endings to his, uh, to his various relationships. At least this time we didn't get a well-produced commercial, uh, which I think is the way it went down with your beloved Raiders. Uh, you uh, know, it might still be to come. And you, you mentioned that, by the way, Sarah, but I actually said that to somebody today as we were trying to react to Antonio Brown. I was like... Look at the number of times. Every time something just blows up in his face, he always comes back. It's somebody else's fault, and there's something wild produced out of it. Like, the, I'll I'll respect one of these the first time he comes out and says, my bad, I handled right. all of this wrong. Right. That's all I'm saying. Well, I guess I forgot that he did release a rap single, uh, kind of like that's like the video. So he's always got a well-produced, um, immediately ready to drop while all the eyeballs are on him. So I'll give it to him in that way. He knows when the eyeballs and the clicks are on him. Let's make this Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. The latest, of course, in the Antonio Brown scandal, drama, back and forth, is his continued claims that he had an ankle injury, that he told Bruce Arians that he was not able to go, that Bruce Arians essentially said, you know, you're out then, and that his very logical response to that was to take off his clothes, throw his helmet, do jumping jacks, and wave goodbye. Bruce Arians says, no, uh, we do not have a situation where he essentially was told by doctors he wasn't able to play and we were trying to force him. At no point in time during that game did he ever ask the trainer or doctor about his ankle. That's the normal protocol. You go through protocols during games. I was never notified of it. So obviously that was the disturbing thing when we were looking for him to go back into the game. He was very upset at halftime about who was getting targeted. Got that calmed down. Players took care of that. It started again on the sideline. We called for the personnel group that he had played in the entire game. He refused to go in the game. That's when I looked back and saw him basically wave off the coach. I then went back, approached him about what was going on. Uh, I ain't playing. What's going on? I ain't getting the ball. That's when I said, you're done. Get the F out of here. That's the end of it. We're working on Carolina. That's the end of the story. And um, hopefully it ends today. If if we're going by most likely, the guy that was playing in the first half and had a couple catches – would be more likely to complain about the number of targets and whether he was being used right and then storm off than to say he had re-injured the ankle and couldn't go. And if we're going based on who we should trust, I don't think Bruce Arians has handled the A-B situation well, but we just delineated the fact, you know, every single time he's got some incident, he has fingers to point and people to blame. I don't think he's a reliable narrator. So I, I don't believe that A-B's, you know, reaction and the way he talks about it is is true yeah and this is what's hard for me because 
there are going to be people, people that know the definitive answer to this. That's one thing that, you know, there's protocol. Protocol exists for when you've been injured in the game and who you talk to and how that information gets relayed. So Bruce Arians is being very adamant. And I heard Keyshawn Johnson this morning, you know, adamant that he didn't think that Antonio Brown would be making up texts, for example. Well, I don't think that Bruce Arians is going to come up and make up protocol either. So, right. like, there is a, a system in place, and he's saying he was never informed of any sort of an injury. Uh, he, he makes it very clear there that the pro- proper protocol was not followed by Antonio Brown in this process. There there will be witnesses to this. There will be people that know. There will be people that can speak out. And, frankly, in today's world, I wish the NFL would release the audio from it because there's, there's right. microphones everywhere. So, that we can get to the bottom of this, but right now, asking me to give Antonio Brown the benefit of the doubt, like, I don't want to believe either side because they've all handled this so poorly. But if I have to pick between the two, I'm not picking Antonio Brown. Right. And to your point, you know, Arians claims that this outburst happened during halftime of the game. So, you know, his response when someone said, you know, that's not what he said happened and it was about the ankle injury and not targets, Arians chuckled and said, the players know the truth. Right. Um, And that's got to be a part of it. Unfortunately, there's a lot of he said, he said here. Arians claims that they've been trying to get Antonio Brown into a specialist, have an MRI done, have an orthopedic specialist look at the ankle and that he hasn't complied. Maybe Antonio Brown thought if I go into a team doctor, he's going to say I'm fine, even though I'm not. And we know for a fact that that has happened on other NFL teams, right? Whether there's been incentives that are linked to someone or whether putting someone on IR is better contract wise, like there's certainly been teams that have acted inappropriately and unfairly to players using injuries as a means to do so. I understand that. But I also don't trust that Antonio Brown's quote unquote independent doctor is the one that, you know, has the end-all be-all on whether or not the ankle injury was too bad to perform and whether he needs to get surgery. I bet you there's a whole lot of NFL players that right now, if they went in and got an MRI, a doctor would say you should probably get surgery. Yeah. Does, does mean that's the only option. And that's what I think is weird about all of this. You know, the, the release of the text messages, uh, it feels strange to me that, you know, hey, this is B.A. Like, like he had to identify himself as the coach in the beginning of this new text thread, which also seems strange to me. Like, this is the first time Arians is texting. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, and then he comes back, and, you know, it, it is apparent in the text that Antonio Brown sends that he's getting treatment. He sends a picture of him getting treatment on his ankle. That that can mean anything, though. I mean, right. just the fact that you're getting your ankle getting rubbed down. Getting after it, coach. Getting, uh, ready, getting ready to go. Uh, like, that doesn't say, hey, this is a serious injury. I can't really walk on it, and I'm having massive issues you know like there's so many things that are still we we just we look at it and if you want to apply benefit of the doubt you can look at it and say well Bruce Arians obviously knew and Antonio Brown was doing everything he could I just don't think that anything in Antonio Brown's past has deserved that level of benefit of the doubt yeah I completely agree Spain and Fitz Sarah Spain Jason Fitz ESPN radio ESPN app Sirius XM channel 80 Fitz I was busy today I was not keeping tabs on every post in Antonio Brown's story tried to flip through them right before the show a lot of it was just his latest single uh his first single his latest single also haven't been keeping track on Antonio Brown's music career enlighten me on what I missed there was a home alone photoshop yeah, uh, like I mean <laughs> he also posted like he went on Instagram and posted about like Alex Carrera the the super trainer we mm. all know from Tom Brady 
apparently charging him a bunch of money for services not rendered, so he was complaining about that. That was an that. interesting one, though, because here's here I, I did see that one. And listen, let me pull that up, because he's trying to act like, okay, here's what he wrote allegedly. Hey, AG, if we're not going to work anymore, that's fine. Let me know about the 100 k I paid you. Only fair, get back half my money. Let me know how to proceed. And then the text from Alex Guerrero, allegedly. Good morning, AB. I appreciate you reaching out to me. I completely understand that you want to go in a different direction. Thank you for the opportunity to work together. You're a wonderful person. I hope for your continued success on and off the field. Please let me know where you want me to send the balance. Big hugs, my friend. And his quote on that is, Tom Brady's guy, AG, you know, TB12, charging me 100 k never doing the work on me. How you even work with people like this? This is what I was dealing with. Like, that seems like a really nice response from someone. Hey, you're a great person. I hope the best for you. Where can I send you the money that you just requested? Well, and then (laughs) AB goes to Instagram and posts a picture of the Home Alone 2 movie poster with Tom Brady on one side, Bruce Arians on the other. And then Antonio Brown as the Kevin McAllister yeah, in the middle. They're the I'm, wet bandit somehow. Like, you you really want to make Tom Brady the bandit uh-huh. in this situation? Like the, the one guy that's been absolutely uh-huh. in your corner? Like yeah. the Patriots have given up on you. The, the Buccaneers have given up on you. Like the stable organizations, the Steelers have get like the number of stable organizations that have said, nope, we're good. It's right. just got to be an indication. Well, and then he reposts uh, Kodak believes AB should have went to the Ravens. Okay, so Kodak Black's opinion on where he should have played after the fact, after winning a Super Bowl with the Bucks and getting all of this help from from Tom. I mean, that's the thing is that there may be elements of this that he feels like he was done wrong, but siding with Antonio Brown in this is a tough reach. We'll get back to this. That's Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. But coming up, we got some quickies. A lot happened in the NBA tonight, including a statue that has of us uh, all of us sort of uh, shaking our heads. We'll get to it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Lots going on in the NBA last night. Uh, not just Lance Stevenson Day, because we were here for that. It was happening during our show. Uh, didn't end up being a full game of Lance Stevenson magic, but that first quarter, an NBA record, hadn't played in the league in a couple of years, and he comes back hot. Comes back hot, 20 off the bench in the first quarter in just six minutes. Uh, oh, and Kyrie was also playing in that game. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Let's get into some NBA quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. We talked about it a lot in the lead-up to the game last night. Kyrie Irving making his debut for the season against the Pacers. This, of course, a change of plans for a Nets team that had initially said they wanted to focus on their core principles of teamwork and togetherness and sacrifice. And because of that, an unvaccinated Kyrie was not welcome to be a part of the team. Then COVID hit them decimated the team. They were already worried about minutes uh, logged by Kevin Durant and James Harden and others. So they welcomed him back. He immediately went into protocols and wasn't available when they most needed him during that COVID hit. But now he's out. And now they're at full strength and he's still back. And they're welcoming him back. Um, He was impressive. 22 points, four assists, three three rebounds, three steals in 32 minutes. Um, You know, a little rusty, but for someone who's been out for as long as he has, really impressive. And the Nets erased a 19-point Pacers lead to take the win uh, Fitz, what did you make uh, of Kyrie, first of yeah, all? I, and look, I was skeptical yesterday that it makes a difference long term. Then you watch him play and you're reminded how stinking good he is. And, and I, I think that's great. Let's see how it works when he's in the lineup some days and not in the lineup yeah. some days. And by the way, if this entire experiment works and you only need your star players for games here and there, you watch out for what it means for the future of the NBA. I'm just saying, like, the the 
the concept of resting guys will get blown out of proportion if you can only play 18 or 20 games and suddenly that makes you an NBA champion. Uh, he responded to you know a little bit of that. Uh, there was obviously a lot of questions about whether coming back means he's going to think about getting vaccinated now. His response directly to that was, oh, come on, man, don't hang on to me. Um, before getting up from the podium. So doesn't have an answer for that yet. I think some people believe getting back with the team, spending time with the players, getting the itch might make it more likely that he'll want to be around for all the games. To your point, Fitz, it's a really weird thing that's happening where he's going to come back occasionally sometimes on like the second night of a back-to-back where he's only available on the second night. So gambling-wise, I don't know what you do there, right? Usually in the NBA, the go-to is to bet against a team in a second night of the back-to-back on the road. That's when Kyrie's going to show up all fresh and be available for them. So uh, maybe hold on to your cash in those situations. It's not quite as easy. Uh, Nick Friedel was on Canty and Golic Jr., talked about Kyrie coming back, and talked about the angle of if he does decide not to get vaccinated and is not available for home games all the way down the stretch, how does that affect what you just mentioned, which is rest? If Kyrie does not get the shot in the league, in the city, in New York City, they don't come to some uh, some middle ground and allow him to play in Brooklyn without it, it's not the worst thing in the world for the Nets to lose some games and fall down the standings a little bit because what do they care about home court advantage? I mean, their advantage is having Kyrie on the floor. And if he can only play in road games, then they're probably best served playing in a few more road games when they matter the most. Nice built-in excuse for them if they start to slump. Oh, this is good for them. Uh, lots to talk about with Kyrie as it goes on, but, but wait, we'll wait, have wait. to follow. Is it not, though, like strategy for the team? Yeah, late, for sure. Late yeah, but season? I'm just saying if they're struggling, it can be, well, who cares? Oh, yeah, it's true. fine. That's you know true. what I mean? Like, um, But I don't know if that necessarily means that they'll be heading into the postseason feeling incredibly confident. If it's not intentional, it's merely a result of what you've talked about, which is that it's hard to go back and forth between one lineup to another and on and on. We'll keep an eye on the Kyrie situation. Obviously a good start for them, but how does it work, to your point, as they try to adjust? Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, next story. Quickies. Dirk Nowitzki had a big night last night. The Mavs retire his number 41 in a post-game ceremony. Uh, he had some funny words about all the different folks he's played with there. So my other teammates, I had almost 200 of them. Uh, it's, that's a lot. Obviously, way too many uh, to mention, but I always try to respect everybody, have fun with everybody, not see myself as a bigger part of the puzzle. Always try to make uh, everybody feel welcome, and that was, uh, that was my style of, of leadership, always joking around uh, with everybody, and I think it kind of sums up um, a couple years ago when I won the Twyman Stokes uh, Award for, for uh, Teammate of the Year, and you know how many teammates voted for me at the time? None. <laughs> so that meant a lot. That meant a lot to me. I don't know how that works. I don't know who votes for that or how you could win it if no one voted for you, but I love it. Yeah, uh, the concept that nobody voted for him and he still won, uh, and then he gets to lord that over everybody in the locker room every year. <laughs> I love that part of it. But also it just speaks to the lovability. You know, uh, I'm lucky to have some friends that, that covered the NBA and every the amount of people last night that were at that game just posting about that game because it was such a an emotional moment for an, an entire organization, also for a chapter of NBA fans. I just... I, I feel like we sort of, as a as a, an NBA community, sometimes forget how much he meant to the Mavs, how much he meant to the NBA, and just how stinking likable the guy is. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it He obviously had a tremendous amount of success, but he's also one of those guys that the media likes, the teammates like, etc. So actually, in honor of that, let's throw something up on the Spain and Fitz Nation Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz, in honor of Dirk's jersey retirement. Um, outside of Dirk, so other than Dirk, who are your, let's say, top three I don't want to do Mount Rushmore out of just principle. I hate Mount Rushmore like questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who are your top three superstar MVP caliber? So not the sixth man that everybody likes, not you know the WNBA player that doesn't play much but is a good interview. I'm talking superstar MVP caliber athletes who are almost universally liked, who you rarely hear a bad word about. Let us know. Hit us up. We'll tell you who the results are later. There are a handful I could think of, but I want to see what you guys so, think. You're basically looking for the Jason Fitzes of sports, right? Yeah, like yeah, like sure. superstar, but sure. then universally loved. Wait, are we talking publicly or like behind their back, though? No, no. I mean like publicly. Wait, okay, wait, perfect. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Hold on. All right, next story. Quickies. Zion Williamson's story getting a little weirder. We talked about this briefly last night, and I do still want to get a Pell's reporter on because I want to ask what the feeling is like in that city and around that team, that he's still away from the team, rehabbing the injury. He's doing it in Portland. Uh, He's got the fractured foot. There were so many expectations for him to be back by now. But he's in Portland, Oregon, his rehab overseen by the team but done with people outside of the team there's a lot of questions about his weight he was allegedly over 300 pounds after the surgery and the big question fits is not just how long it's taking for him to come back this is a guy who I think during his time on the court last year was eighth in the league in scoring putting up incredible numbers it's more when they get him back how long are they going to have him for Are they going to lose him just like Anthony Davis? Is this going to be a situation where they're incredibly patient with his return, and then when he's healthy, somebody else benefits? Yeah, well, and I'm just wondering if we are ever going to get to the spot where we see healthy out of him. It's what we all want. In the meantime, we're just watching John Morant take over as the sort of poster kid for uh, that draft. And, you know, it it can't be lost on any of us how much time has already been lost on the court for the Pels to to be able to even try and build around him, for them to see what he can be as an NBA superstar, to try and put the right things around him. I mean, there are so many questions that just haven't been able to be answered because he hasn't been available. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's just sad. And it's going to be an interesting thing of who wants to take a risk on putting money into that guy if you don't know if he'll ever be healthy because the upside is huge. Hey, speaking of that Dirk ceremony last night, I forgot to mention, did you see the statue? Oh, yeah. That was weird. Let's put that on the poll, too. What was on Dirk's head in that statue? And wrong answers only. Okay, what's on Dirk's head in the statue? Wrong answers only. Coming up, an NFL GM gives his perspective on AB. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And sometimes we just need to bring in some expertise sometimes. I mean, all the time. We'll take any expert that uh, can help make us smarter. That's one thing we're never going to shy away from on the show. But particularly with everything going on, not just on the field, but off it this week, figure it's a good time to head over to the Goodyear Hotline, where we are joined by our friend Randy Mueller, former NFL exec, over 30 years in the NFL with the Saints, Dolphins, Chargers, and Seahawks. And 
We really wanted to get you on to talk a little bit, not just about what's going to happen this weekend, Randy, but with all this Antonio Brown stuff going on, I, I guess I need to know what's normal. So let's start with Bruce Arians <laughs> saying that, like, you know, there are protocols and nobody had informed a trainer. Like, in your experience, how does it usually go if a player is hurt on the sidelines? Well, I think Bruce is probably correct in that, yes, it, it goes through a, a chain of command, so to speak. The player lets the trainer know. Sometimes it's the assistant trainer. Then there's somebody assigned to inform the position coach and somebody assigned to inform the head coach. So there's a little bit of a protocol there. But, hey, let's face it, sometimes those things get sideways. Not always is the line of communication as clean as we'd all like it. But obviously in this case it got away from them and and it's become a he said, she said (laughs) uh, tale of two stories afterwards. Yeah, it's curious, and I'm wondering if you had, in your you know 30 years experience, a situation where, after the fact, a dispute with a player was being debated publicly, and how you decided whether or not to shed light on it. Because there has been a bit of criticism on the Bucks, so they must be lying because it took them so long to talk about it. But to be honest, Bruce Arians didn't want to talk about AB when they signed him, didn't want to talk about him when he was suspended, didn't want to talk about him when he brought back, didn't want to talk about him when he was gone. So the idea that suddenly he would be loquacious about this was a little silly, and I think the only reason he spoke about it again today was because there were people inferring that if he hadn't given the details, then AB's side must be right. Well, I think you're right. I think it's it's um, it's one of those things where I think the, the Tampa side, was they were trying to take the high road. They didn't want to talk about it. They wanted it to go away. Of course, they don't want the distraction, but they're the ones that signed him, so this kind of comes with the territory. But I do think he he came to the defense of himself and the team once the finger was pointed at them. I don't even think normally a head coach would speak to the media on a Thursday, so I think there was a special session just for that, and I understand it. I think they had hoped it would just go away, but A.B. wouldn't. I'm one to suggest that even after the drama of his exit and the disrobing and all that, I think he could have survived all that. And actually, I think someone still would have signed him at some point after a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. I really think his skills are good enough. But it's been all this drama since then. It's Once you throw the head coach, the GM, the the quarterback's trainer all under the bus, that's what's going to make it really hard for somebody to go back on the A-B train. So stick there for a second, Randy. Is his career in the NFL done in your mind? I think it is now. I really do. And it's not because of the way exited the field. I just think it's all the things that came after the fact. And again, I think there are times when we all get boxed in, right? And and I just think the high road goes, you know, a long ways. And I know A.B. can't do that. I understand his history of all this. And, and obviously, he probably does need some help. Um, I think he's been surrounded by enablers his whole career and and the hard truth is not something that he wants to hear but at some point he's probably going to have to get some help to get through this and I don't think um, another team another season another situation like this is going to be the answer so I do think he's done from the NFL maybe it's XFL maybe it's USFL he might play football again but I, I just don't see an NFL team taking that bait. I definitely see a fight with Jake Paul in his future. Oh, uh, Randy Mueller's with <laughs> oh, us here, former NFL exec, 30 years with the Saints, Dolphins, Chargers, Seahawks. You don't have to give details if it's uncomfortable, but I wonder, in your time with those teams, did you have disputes with either players or coaches about a player that had issues that that person really wanted to stand up for and said, you know, this is going to be worth the drama, this is going to be worth the potential fallout for the talent? And, and, and you know, how weird is it that maybe Tom Brady was able to have this outsized influence on bringing AB. Yeah, I, I've had some of this drama in the past for sure, and it's come up with some of our best players at times. And 
of course, you know, not everything gets out in the media, even in this day of social media. You can keep some of it quiet. It, it all depends on the on the character of the guys who you're dealing with. And we were able to keep some of this in-house. I think it was obviously easier to do six or eight years ago or even 10 years ago for that matter. But, yeah, there's some uncomfortable things that happen in locker rooms that happen away from cameras and, and microphones that make it hard to manage your team throughout a season. And I just think it comes with the terror territory nowadays and social media no doubt has made it harder because everybody knows everything so it's a struggle it's it's something that gms have had to deal with especially uh you know say the last 10 years or so it's it's um it's ongoing and it's it's society right it's everybody wanting a voice all the time and and nobody wants to be backed into a corner so it's okay to say whatever whenever which i guess is the case but there's going to be consequences and i think that's the thing we lose track of sometimes is i don't mind what anybody says as long as they realize there's going to be consequences to it and it may not be what they're looking for we're talking to randy mueller on spain and fitz sarah spain jason fitz randy's former nfl exec with other over 30 years in the nfl so in a situation like this we keep saying it's he said he said but i've got to believe that at some point if that is the case the nfl players association and the league will get involved when that happens what's the process like from a team standpoint well, I think they've already been involved. The fact that Tampa waited this long to release him, that tells me the league was doing their own homework, their own investigation, maybe even already talking to the NFLPA. I don't know what's going to become of all this. He's, his salary is guaranteed, right? Because he, once he's a vested veteran, you make the team, your salary for the season is guaranteed. So he's going to get paid that. I guess the only argument is that maybe he gets one week less because of uh, uh, if, if they suspended him for some reason, you know, the money that's involved in it is, is really inconsequential at this point. I don't see what AB would really fight for. I think he's going to get, you know, 99% of it anyway. So I just, I don't, I don't know what the purpose is other than to, to reclaim his own uh, reputation. And I think that's going to be a struggle for him. Yeah, I will say it felt like the release of him came after he announced he needed surgery and blew everything up. It didn't come before that potentially because they didn't want another team to go ahead and pick him up. So that might have been about the conversations with the NFLPA. Might have also been them just trying to figure out how to block him from going and helping an opponent. Uh, we're talking to Randy Mueller here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, while we got you, let's switch gears to Baker Mayfield because Mary Kay Cabot wrote a story today about his relationship with Kevin Stefanski and certainly worth diving in on the issues with the Browns, whether that's OBJ asking out to the point that now Landry hasn't spoken since then, except for one comment at a charity event uh, and has not, and, you know, was previously great with media and has been pretty silent uh, to Baker kind of speaking openly to the press about not agreeing with the offensive decisions a lot. Some of the other players on the team doing the same. Um, what did you make of Mary Kay's story and of Baker deciding to call it clickbait garbage and the media is, you know, causing all these issues and drama? Well, I, I've said since the time of, of OBJ's exit that the offense was going to come under scrutiny. Obviously, he's gone elsewhere and done pretty good for himself. I, I respect Kevin Stefanski. I think he's a really good coach. But I do think sometimes coaches do get locked down in their own system and forget that these guys are humans. They're players. They want to make plays. And sometimes you have to acquiesce a little bit to that. I think Kevin's still learning the job. It's not like he's been a head coach for a long time and dealt with all this. This is his second year. So he's coming around. Um, I think he's going to be good. I can see the frustration. Obviously, Baker's taken a lot of arrows, right? I mean, everybody wants to blame Baker for everything now. I get it. Um, I don't think 
he, I don't think this helps him, but I don't think it's necessarily all him and he's at fault by this. I do think people try to drive wedges, and I'm not blaming Mary Kay at all. She's got to do what she's got to do. But I do think there's two sides to every one of these stories. I don't think Baker wants to be traded. Uh, frankly, I don't know if there's a market for him anyway. So I think in this case, the cart has gotten ahead of the horse. The, 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 the whole situation is going to play out. I think it is what it is for where the Browns are. I just don't think they're as good as everybody thought they were going to be, me included. I mean, we can criticize Baker all we want, but this roster was said to be really talented and really good. I don't think it's turned out to be that way at all. So I think it's a retooling time for the Browns, and if they can survive uh, the, the infighting, they'll be fine. But it's going to take some time and some, some serious discussions uh, with each other. Randy, real quick before we let you go then, on that note, if you're the GM of the Browns, how much do you let the lack of other quarterback options influence the way you handle the Baker-Mayfield situation? Well, I think it's – I'm not getting rid of Baker until I have a better option, that's for sure, and I think you could do a lot worse. So I think the lack of options are going to dictate what happens with him. If they can find a way to get one, I think it's fine. But otherwise, they'll at minimum have to bring in some competition for him, and maybe it is another young guy who can – can be around for three or four years because as we know baker will be on a one-year deal next year at 18 million randy always appreciate your time be sure to check out the football gm podcast read his work also at MuellerFootball.com. always appreciate that you answer the bat phone for us my friend thanks guys take care great stuff randy. from randy espn radio presented by progressive insurance commercial insurance through progressive protects your business and your dream choose from over 30 coverage options at progressivecommercial.com coming up and we'll give our thoughts on baker we haven't gotten into that yet plus early thoughts on the natty coming up on monday we'll do all that next spain and fits on espn radio spain and fits the podcast spain and fits on espn radio the espn app sirius xm channel 80 sarah spain jason fitz be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed ESPN Nation. Presented by Dr. Pepper, college football bowl season is here and fans are hyped to return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. We'll get into the national championship in just a second. But Sarah, you know, the conversation we were just having with Randy Mueller, who knows more about the NFL than most uh, about Baker Mayfield, becomes interesting because Mary Kay Cabot, who does great work uh, covering the team and has for a very long time, uh, wrote an article talking about some of the things that would need to happen for Baker and uh, some of the relationships that may have been strained. And uh, Baker has responded, basically calling it all clickbait. There has to be a happy medium when we're covering quarterbacks, uh, an understanding that, hey, an article can be written about the situation, not just because clicks are needed. Like the fact is you can write any article right now with the word Baker Mayfield in it and Browns fans are going to click on it. So it doesn't have to be a scathing one. And at some point, her resume and, and her past has to matter to the way the current work is received. So I was a little surprised to see Baker be so adamant against what she had written. Yeah, my guess is that it's just one of those straw that broke the camel's back situation, right? Um, somebody who is in a tremendous amount of st stress and strain over the criticism of how he's played, over the decision-making that he's he's made this season about his injury and about playing through it, about his future. He is a guy with a tremendous amount of confidence and pride and cares a ton. Uh, to take it out on a reporter to argue that, you know, Cleveland local media's drama stirring with no sources or facts um, doesn't serve him well, um, particularly when there have been clear issues uh, between him and Kevin Stefanski. I think, you know, if he stays quiet on this, he doesn't look great, but neither does Stefanski. 
coming out and, and making attacks on people and kind of trying to take out the media um, sort of makes Stefanski seem like the guy who's playing the high road, and that's just going to benefit him way more than it benefits Baker to to tweet what he did. Yeah, I don't really think that there's much when this becomes that constant conversation. It's easier said than done, and it's easier said than done in my own life. Like how often I see somebody tweet something, and I just like I know I shouldn't clap back, but I do. But when you're when you're Baker, you're risk versus reward on all of this. Like if you don't say anything, then whatever these things are either go away or time sort of makes it less of a part of the conversation. I'm not sure that there's any win for him in exploring it more. And again, Mary Kay Cabot is not somebody that is like her work is, is been known for so long around this team to say that anything's being posted without source or information is a real discredit to somebody that uh, frankly doesn't deserve that level of shade to me. Right. Uh, I agree. I don't think the story was uh, groundbreaking, right? I think it kind of rehashed some things and it certainly uh, kind of repeated the narrative a few times of, you know, they can't run it back unless they figure this out. And then later it says, you know, they got to figure this out or they can't run it back. It's like, okay, so you're kind of stretching it a little, like not a ton here. But I think part of the frustration is throughout the story were a lot of facts that are not debatable. You can understand that he was injured. You can talk about how much that may have affected his ability to lead the team. That doesn't affect the fact that statistically he's 27th in QBR. You know, he's 28th in completion percentage. His clutch stats are terrible. Those extenuating circumstances matter when you're trying to figure out your future, when you're trying to figure out what to do next. They don't matter in terms of how it affected the success or lack thereof that the Browns had this season. And that's why I think it probably hits a little harder for a guy who's already very sensitive about that. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, the other big thing, obviously, I know we've got a huge weekend in the NFL, and everybody knows that we've got a huge weekend in the NFL, but Monday night is the national championship. And, it, you know, obviously Georgia taking on Alabama. Uh, there's been some conversation about whether or not this is a sexy enough matchup. But, Sarah, these are two clearly – they were two the, the two clearly best teams throughout the course of the college football season. Uh, we're seeing the two best take each other on. Uh, but in the course of getting ready for this game, and for anyone that doesn't know – part of the digital uh, broadcast that'll happen beforehand with Michael Oluk Jr., Christine Williamson, Gary Streisky. whole slew of us going to be in Indianapolis at uh, 7 p.m. Uh, on all your live-streamed ESPN devices on Monday. But in the course of doing research, I actually found an interesting nugget from one of our researchers that I think it could be the impact difference in this game everybody should watch for. You ready for this? I feel yes, like I'm it's going to make me I'm smart. Ready. I'm going to be mm-hmm. the smartest guy in the room. Okay. All right. In their first matchup, the success that Bryce Young had uh, was uh, unparalleled. Obviously, he had a great game. But he was not successful when Georgia blitzed. The problem is they didn't blitz a lot. They felt like they could get home with their front four. That seemed to be a smart approach because they've got a great front four. But they didn't blitz enough. When they did blitz, his completion percentage ducked to below 40% and his QBR went down in the dumps, mm. right? So the, the secret to that first game was that they if they had blitzed more, they could have had more success. Now, in a game where John Mechie, the superstar receiver, is not going to be in for Alabama, I think the difference in this game could be Georgia making that one tweak to their game plan, sending more blitzers, sending more exotic looks towards Bryce Young and trying to get him with less accomplished receivers out there for him to throw to other than one, obviously, epic one. Uh, other than that, it gives the Georgia a real opportunity to force Bryce Young to make a mistake. It's a reason why I think this game could look much different than the first game did. Uh, I like that 
You sound very smart. Thank you. Uh, I think that seems like a great way to address that plane. And you can hear this game, by the way, right here on ESPN Radio, 7 p.m. Eastern on Monday. I've said since the beginning, I said it before the game with Bama, that I did not think that that would be a necessarily um, perfect demonstration of either of those squads because Alabama was playing for their playoff lives and Georgia knew they were in even if they lost. That's not to say they weren't trying or anything. I do think you can't manufacture what should be an organic, like, this is it, this is all or nothing vibe. They didn't have it in that game. So I'm really interested in the rematch, and I think it will look different when they've had a look at each other, when they have the ability to build off that game, especially in the manner that you just said. And I just think when you've got that title on the line, instead of the mismatch and sort of uneven, uneven idea of what um, the result would mean for each team the last time they met, that changes things. Yeah, and I also think it's helpful that this game comes right off of the semifinal for Stetson Bennett, George's quarterback, because he played exceptionally well against Michigan. Now, he had a couple of turnovers that were boneheaded in the SEC championship game, but now he gets to come in with that little feel-good, the little mojo, the little sort of everything's a little bit better for him coming in. So I, I feel like there's an opportunity for Georgia to come in with a lot more confidence because of what they just did to Michigan, even though there is the recency of the SEC championship game. The only thing that concerns me, and, you know, I was hosting College Football Live earlier this week, and Desmond Howard said, you know, realistically, these two rosters are so similar in talent, it's going to come down to coaching. The only thing that concerns me there is that if I know Georgia had more success when they blitz, then certainly Nick Saban knows that they had more success. So the interesting part of this will be the chess match adjustment that will have to happen because I don't know that it ever makes sense. To your point, we got to stop betting against Brady. I literally was about to say that. I can't can't bet (laughs) against Saban. I was going to say, we've seen Bama lose in the title game, but that doesn't mean I haven't already considered having to add to my list of rules. Don't against Nick Saban in a national title game, especially when he's got time to game plan and has seen a team before. All right, I've got an important question for you, though, because you're going to be in Indy covering this, and you just found out that you and Gojo are going to be outside for your coverage, minus something wind chill. Are are you good? Because I can give you some tips. Do you have the right, you know, ear coverings? Do you've got you have good strong gloves? Do you even have like maybe two layers of gloves, and the lower layer is one that works with your phone, so you can keep them on if you need to text something or post something? I just went full Harry Douglas and got myself a pair of heated gloves. That's right, they plug Ooh. in. They're gonna heat my like they they okay. look like huge mitts. Like I could I like can they walk plug up. in before, not during, right? Yeah, yeah, there ain't they, gonna be yeah, outlets out there. You plug them. You, you charge them. Like I could smack Mike okay. on the face and he won't feel my hands. They're poofy gloves. <laughs> But they're going to keep my fingers. Now I just got to figure out what to do about my grating up. It's uh, it's Spain and Fitz coming up. The NFL weekend will kick off Saturday afternoon. One team hoping to move into the top spot of their conference. We'll break it down for you next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. If you haven't seen it, there is a funny video going around of the sidelines of the Chiefs game in that that Chiefs-Bengals game. And on the Chiefs sideline, there's some confusion about feathers blowing in the wind put off by a heater. Pat Mahomes thinks a bird has been eaten by the heater. Turns out one of the staff members was just standing, uh, players or staff members was standing too close to it, and it burned a hole in the jacket full of uh, down feathers, and they started floating around on the sideline. Uh, the audio that the sideline mics catch uh, is great, especially the person yelling, burned a hole in your bunghole, uh, <laughs> which hadn't heard that since, like, Beavis and Butthead. 
Um, check it out. Check oh, it out. Man. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. NFL immediately released the bunghole audio, but we can't get some audio of Antonio Brown and what went down there. What I mean, explain here? that to me. What are like, we doing we, here? Like, Come well, on. I see those huge like satellite dishes standing on the sidelines that are catching yeah. all the sound, and you can't tell me what actually happened? I'm not mm. complaining that the bunghole video has made its way out to us, but I'm just wondering about the AB video. When do we, we get that? It's Bain and Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests doing us on the Goodyear hotline. Uh, let's talk about the Chiefs because this is an 11-5 and team, first in the AFC West. You know, this is a team that through all the ups and downs of this season and the disappointments is still set to become, if they win on Saturday, uh, just the fifth team in NFL history with 12-plus wins in four straight seasons. That is an incredible mark and an incredible consistency, despite this season being pretty inconsistent. Well, that, the thing for me is when it comes down to the playoffs and trying to figure out what all that means, Like, this is a team that defensively has played really well for much of the season. And it's a team, I know that we can all talk about the stink of the defensive effort against the Bengals, but this is a team that defensively has played really well. And I'm looking at a team with a a defense that's played better than we expected, a quarterback that we all know, and a coach that we all know that, that can achieve at the highest possible level. So I look at it and say, is it even fair that so many people seem to be riding the Chiefs off when it comes to the Super Bowl conversation? In a wide-open AFC, I have a hard time imagining that if I had to put my money down on any one team in the AFC, I'd have a hard time picking anybody but the Chiefs. Well, I think some of that, of course, comes from last year. And you remember being on this show, Fitz, that, you know, having been in this industry for as long as I have, that when everybody's leaning one way, I always ask myself, you know, what are we missing? What could go wrong? And when it came to the Super Bowl last year, I said, we are way too hot on the Chiefs. Everybody's got the Chiefs. We were not paying attention to that porous O-line and all the injuries that had decimated them. We did not anticipate what eventually went down against the Bucks. Now it's the flip of everybody saw that with their eyes, and now they think, well, this team can't do it because we saw last year what it looked like. Uh, never mind that they have really addressed the offensive line, and even with the injuries that had guys out, I, I can't remember. Maybe Stosh can let me know. Those offensive linemen that were out against the Bengals, was that injuries or COVID or both? I, I think it was a combo of both, Stosh. Right. Yeah, I, it was a combo of both, right, Stosh? Yeah, combo of both. By the way, okay. Dane and Hughes. He's here. Us. He's what? We right. got him. Let's we got do it. him. Look at Let's that. talk to that Chiefs Radio Network analyst, another person that can tell me about that. those offensive line players, Dana Hughes, joining us now. And, and Dana, what I was going to say about that is, despite not having the full set of folks that they would want out there protecting Patrick Mahomes, that was not the problem against the Bengals. There was good protection there, and I think that's the real reason after last year's Super Bowl that people are reticent to pick them this season. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Thanks for having me on with you guys. Uh, hopefully everybody had a safe and happy new year. And Yeah, when you take away from that Bengals game, one thing you recognize about Andy Reid and his team is that it's one thing for coaches to say next man up, but it's a whole other thing for when that next man up is prepared fully to play like the starters. And when you look at the two depth, the two deep on the offensive line, you got guys on the second level that played and started in the Super Bowl last year. They've been a part of this program and this organization for the last three years. So it's literally next man up and with 100% confidence that they can do the job. Joe Tooney is a left guard. Orlando Brown goes down in pregame warm-ups. You have no opportunity to elevate anybody from practice squad or elevate anybody from inactive. 
and you have to do a shuffle before opening kickoff. And he moves out to the left tackle. And you bring in Nick Allegretti, who really hadn't played a whole bunch since the Super Bowl last year. It's just really the, it's about creating a culture and coaching that produces dividends when you need those guys to step up. And we've seen that throughout Andy Reid's tenure here in Kansas City. And that's why I think that's why we can continue to keep our foot on the gas pedal and we can not miss a beat in offense and defense because these guys are all prepared. It's really cool. So, Dana, let's look back at this season for the Chiefs because it's interesting to me that when you look at the playoffs in the AFC – the, the Chiefs have a loss to the Bengals. They have a, a big loss to the Titans, and they had a loss earlier to the Bills, too. How does this team in the playoffs stack up against the rest of the best in the AFC? So, yeah, if you look at the record, we, we've basically lost to teams that, were, that are either going to be in the playoffs or at the time were atop of their division. Um, people discounted the Chiefs because of those losses. And then when you look back, you're like, we're, we feel like we're the best, and we lost to a couple other, to a few other teams that were the best. Now, as we carry into the playoffs, it becomes a different story. And I said it even back when the Chiefs were three and four, and it's not just me being a homer or anything. But I said, get somebody on the line, any team in the NFL that says they would want to face the Chiefs in the playoffs <laughs> at that time when they were three and four, and there's not one that would have picked up the phone and said, yeah, we're that confident. We want to play the Chiefs. Not one of them, even the teams that beat them. And I still feel like that now. After eight-game win streak, you have a little bit of a stumble against the Cincinnati Bengals. But you can make an argument that outside of the blowout against the Tennessee Titans and getting beat up at home by the Buffalo Bills, every other game, we we should have won. We could have won. The Chargers, we threw an interception while it's tied, and we got the ball in the last minute of the game. The, the Ravens, we fumble on the last drive when we're in field goal range. And now this Bengals game where we lost when we, we basically were winning by 14 points twice in the game. So I think there's learning opportunities, learning experiences, but maybe you guys can help me. Name a team that wants to face Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs team in the playoffs, especially if they have to go through Arrowhead for the fourth straight year. No, yeah, no, 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 no. I can't no. think of one. Nope. Uh, Danon Hughes, Chiefs radio network analyst with us here on Spain and Fitz. He's on the Goodyear hotline. Fitz mentioned the defensive effort against the Bengals, and I think I'm not so much caught up in one game's ability player to player, but I am caught up in decision-making, particularly moments in that game where you're looking at a cover zero against a team in third and 27, and you let you know, the guy that's been crushing you all game long get that 30-yard pass. I'm looking specifically at decisions that they made looking at Jamar Chase and saying, no, I think we're good, no safety help. What did you make of that game plan, and did it worry you at all going forward? It doesn't worry me at all because I think it was a learning experience. It was a costly experience, but a learning experience. But I I, I listened to Steve Spagnuolo after the game, and he talked about, now, whether or not we agree with it is a whole different story. But what he talked about in his mindset was we felt like it was a third and six. We wanted to treat it like it was third and six because mm-hmm. we felt like if we can stop them from getting six-plus yards, then they'd have to punt versus mm-hmm. kicking a field goal. Now, but it wasn't a third and six. It wasn't. Yes, it wasn't. <laughs> so, yeah, it wasn't. I'm not saying I subscribe to that, but I can 
understand the mindset, but I also think maybe because you got a Jamar Chase that have been torching you, it might have been a rookie thing where, you know, you guys have been around sports. It doesn't matter if it's the NBA, if it's the NFL, if a rookie starts killing you, you still feel like uh, he's just a rookie. He's not going to be able to do it. He's not going to be able to hit this next shot until he hits the next ten shots or he makes the next five catches. So I kind of feel like they, there was a confidence in our defense that using the right technique, which was not used by the defensive back, that we could squeeze him to the sideline and we can get to our already hobbled quarterback. Joe Burrow was limping around on the field, that we can get to him quick enough to get a sack or disrupt that pass, and it just didn't work. But I think it's a learning experience, and I can't imagine them making that same decision again down the road. Awesome stuff, Danon. Thanks so much for the time. We look forward to seeing whoever gets the opportunity to take on the Chiefs in the postseason. And of course, oh no, 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 we do not. Not if it's the Saturday. Raiders. I can't take this again, Sarah. I cannot take the Raiders taking on the Chiefs in the black. I can't do it. Uh, no offense, Vince, but at least you wouldn't have to be too nervous. We all know what would happen. They don't make enough I'm alcohol so for me to live through I'm a Raiders so Chiefs playoffs game. Uh, Chiefs don't. analyst Danon Hughes, <laughs> brought to you by Goodyear, making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear, more driven. Chiefs Broncos. Saturday, 4.30 Eastern on ABC, ESPN, ESPN+. Plus. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about how AB's loss impacts the Bucks moving forward. Speaking of a team no one wants to see. Also, a pantsing gone wrong. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on a Thursday night. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to get to your most liked athletes, superstars, I should say, of all time in honor of Dirk Nowitzki's jersey retirement last night. We asked you for some of the MVP-type players on the men's and women's side that rarely had a bad word said about them. Uh, You guys are coming up with some good ones. Some I don't necessarily agree with, but you guys got some good ones in there. Walter Payton, Ken Griffey Jr., Tim Duncan, sort of some of those leading the way. Uh, Not as likable. The Tennessee politician who was recently ejected from a high school basketball game. I don't think he's going to make the list, in part because he's not a superstar MVP, but also because he tried to pull down a referee's pants in the middle of a game. Yeah, that's actually something that happened. A Tennessee state representative thrown out of a high school, let me say that again, high school basketball game, after getting so angry that he tried to fight a ref, wanted to th- uh, threatened, I guess, to fight a ref, didn't actually throw any punches, threatened to fight a ref, and attempted to pants him. The man's name is Jeremy Faison of the State Republican Caucus Chair, and there is video of him running to the ref and trying to pull his pants down, failing. Uh, the pants were belted up, thankfully, for all involved. Uh, after the fact, tweeted out, I acted the fool tonight. I'm hoping to be able to make it right. Uh, Fitz, you have a pantsing story, and more importantly, I would like to ask the fans out there is there a more ridiculous act than trying to pants someone in a fight? If I give you that, can you top me? The only one that came to mind for me is if you stole their nose. I mean, <laughs> like, oh, stealing like their nose a, like is a good. Baby. If you were irate, screaming in their face, and then you pretended to got your nose, uh, that might top an attempted pantsing, but I don't know what else would. I don't know. Wet Willie is on that list for oh, me, too. But I'm just yeah. imagining the look on, like, Mike Olick Jr.'s face if I'm in there and I'm just yelling at him and I'm red in the face and I'm <laughs> shoving him in the chest, and then all of a sudden I reach to try and pants him. Like, the, the level of, like, 
What what are you well, doing? You have to reach up, yeah, right? Well, I mean, that, waist that's fair. is like where yeah, your head is. And that is that is fair. It wouldn't be much of it. Yeah, be right there. It'd be easy for me. Uh, yeah. So years ago, uh, before uh, I was out with the band Perry, when I was touring with a guy named Phil Vassar, uh, I was doing an acoustic show with Phil, and it was me, Phil, and his band leader uh, Jeff, a guy everybody called J Dog, uh, and so. Uh, J-Dog and I, we were out there doing this like little acoustic show for a radio station. It was like a meet and greet before the show. So we're just standing up on stage playing a few songs and, you know, Phil does the Q&A thing or whatever. Well, J-Dog sort of had this gift of being able to walk up. You never knew when it was going to happen and all of a sudden you were pants. It's just he decided <laughs> on this day and I was that guy that walks, still am that guy that walks around in like, you know, uh, Raiders gym shorts and a hoodie all year mm-hmm. round. That's my yeah, usual. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, you know, that that's always what I wear at Soundcheck. So I'm I'm standing up in front of the mic, grabbing my fiddle, getting getting ready, and all of a sudden J Dog comes walking by me and goes, and he pants me. The problem is he got everything. He didn't just get the shorts. Oh, no. He got oh, everything. No. Like he got everything. And there were like a couple hundred fans just sitting there at this acoustic show, and I'm looking out, and I just. Leaned into the microphone, and I was like, mm-hmm, balls out. Like, I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> there was nothing else you could do at this point. Like, I gingerly reached down and, re- you know, re- replaced my pants, but there's just nothing else you can do at that moment when you've been pantsed, and J-Dog did feel terrible. He didn't mean to get the undies down. It just sort of happened I sometimes. like that his name is J-Dog. Yeah. Like, I mean, for sto- as far as stories go, you know, hey, remember that time J-Dog pantsed me on stage? Like, that just feels right. It does. You're right. And, uh, <laughs> it, you know, to this day, I always, whenever pantsing happens, I always think of that just standing on uh, in front of a microphone and saying just that. Both so, in the hey, wind. Uh, just the, the answer, your, my friend. What do you call them? Is, your grape nuts? Uh, yeah, my grape nuts. That's okay. uh, that's yeah, a new thing. Earlier, today. you yeah. said your great nubs, and no, I was like, well, well you certainly I, think highly of yourself. That, that's you. You're welcome, America. <laughs> no, my grape nuts. Uh, because, like, you know, my dad used to like grape nut cereal, and like, you know, I loved little, grape nuts, but you had to add like a full pound of sugar. Oh, yeah. See like, that. grape nuts alone were supposed to be healthy, but they were so gross by themselves. You needed sliced banana or sliced strawberry and a good pound of sugar on top, and then they were delicious. Yeah, Dad ate grape nuts straight out of the box. Plain. What? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this weird family growing up. Savage. You know, I, I can admit that. Yeah. You know, so I think that's, that's for me, you know, pantsing, pantsing has a special place in my heart. I still don't understand why somebody that has been an elected official, like there has to be a moment that even right. for me, there's a moment where I charge up on somebody. And I'd be like, you know what? This is probably yeah. not the best idea. Well, it's a sign of some issues, yeah. I would say, yeah. uh, and something he's addressing. Also, I don't know if the official apology being, I acted the fool <laughs> yeah. is the way I would have gone. But a part, of uh, his, part of his apology, by the way, also said, it's not Christian and it's not mature and it's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, like, I, I don't know that I would have gone, it's not Christian one way or the um, other, like, well, uh, of all the things, yeah. He also said, totally lost my junk. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> again, we went with, I acted the fool and totally lost my junk. I don't know if that's, again, the way, Suddenly I would, first of all, it's not him. how I would expect a state representative to just speak in general. That's not the parlance, I would imagine, but also, uh, I, if I attempted to pant someone, I don't think I would have gone with, lost my junk. Uh I, I don't know, like, uh, you know, as a Tennessean, I, I kind of like some of this. I'm, I'm looking at yeah. this. By the way, he is the highest ranking Tennessee Republican. Oh. So there we go. He's Congratulations. Got a lot of, there we go. I, uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Speaking of distractions and people who uh, maybe uh, uh, acted the fool, lost their junk, 
Antonio Brown, and we talked about him earlier. Uh, we don't have time to play it, but you know, Dan Orlovsky was talking today about what a distraction this is to a Bucks team that already has to adjust to the loss of a major weapon. And I wanted your take on that because we have spent a lot of time talking about the back and forth with Arians. What do you make of the actual effect it has on a team that's one of the Super Bowl favorites? Yeah, I think there is a distraction element, and you know, I've been watching all the Man in the Arena episodes for Tom Brady. And when you see the way he's reacted through the course of every Super Bowl season, he talks about the ability to block out the noise, but he also openly references how much they hear the noise. And you just think about this noise coming into this team at this stage in the season. Like, everybody can say they block these things out, but uh, obviously it creates, I mean, as Randy Mueller said earlier today, the coach shouldn't even usually address the media on a Thursday, but Bruce Arians had to today. Like, all of these little things have to stack up and mean something, or if they don't, then we've got to stop acknowledging or stop pretending that uh, the opposite holds true. Like, we can't we can't have both in this situation. Well, I definitely think a lot of people like to play the distraction game when it serves a narrative they're trying to force, right? Oh, well, you can't, you can't be gay because it's a distraction. Or Colin Kaepernick is a distraction. But then we're like, well, he murdered someone, but he's really good. And everyone seems cool it's a great with team, it. Right? So it's fine, right? Like, we definitely pick and choose when we think something is a distraction. I would argue being on the field shirtless doing jumping jacks and then claiming that your coach tried to play you when you were injured is a distraction. But I would also argue that that team is probably best equipped to deal with it in terms of veteran presence, in terms of leadership, et cetera. They've literally been there. They just won it last year. The question is not so much the distraction part, but actual talent-wise, do they have the right offensive weapons to survive? Can they make it a focus on their tight ends uh, to really focus through their offense? So those are the questions we'll see as, as the postseason arrives. Coming up, speaking of the postseason, how much can the Rams trust Matt Stafford? It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at SiriusXM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Saving your bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance, visit Progressive.com. We're going to head over to the Goodyear hotline as we get ready for a dramatic week in the NFL. So many games that mean so much to either making the playoffs or playoff positioning. And let's get some insight on one of the teams that everybody seems to be mo- the most polarized about, the L.A. Rams. DeMarco Farr joining us there, ESPN L.A. 710 Rams analyst. Uh, obviously, you know this team better than anybody from your playing days from now, your analyst days. So, DeMarco, when you look at the quarterback position, is it a liability for the Rams to try and win a Super Bowl with Matt Stafford as their quarterback? Wow. First of all, Happy New Year. Hope all is well. <laughs> What's up, um, yeah, I go straight for it. You know, there was, there was no it. foreplay. We went straight to the hard <laughs> stuff. I love it. Happy New Year. We, we got to throw Freezing. that in there. Uh, you know, great question. <laughs> we we talked about this all day um, about Matthew Stafford, and I'm, I think I'm willing to live with the warts. Um, <clears throat> I'd rather have him be aggressive. I'd rather have an aggressive quarterback that does turn the ball over versus the guy who's passive especially coming up in the playoffs with who you might have to play and where you might have to go, meaning Aaron Rodgers and Lambeau. So uh, at some point, he'll straighten it out. The first seven games of the season, he was pretty good. He didn't turn it over. Three-game stretch where he did. The Rams couldn't dig themselves out. The last two weeks, uh, he's turned it over three times in both games, and they found a way to win, especially in Baltimore. So I'd rather have this guy going nuts. Uh, he was great in the second half in Baltimore uh, versus the guy who's a little gun shy this late in the year. You know, I, I'm curious. You watch these games as close as anybody else. Um, when you see a game like that where the turnovers all happen early on and then 14 for 14 in the second half, 
What was different mm-hmm. about the second half? Were the, was it the style of play? Was it RPOs versus, you know, really going for the run? Was it the kind of passes he was throwing? Is there something you can isolate to say this is where he thrives and this is what we need to stay away from? Well, he stopped making mistakes with the football. I mean, uh, the one, the second interception, where was the deep ball, where he threw into coverage? Uh, it was an easy pick. Um, that stuff stops, uh, stops happening. Um, again, if you go back to Minnesota, where he threw one right, right to Anthony Barr, like he got out of a sack, that was great. That's what you want. He extended the play, but he missed uh, Anthony Barr laying low through a pick right to him. So uh, the pick six in Baltimore, it was a great defensive uh, adjustment by the Ravens. They trapped him. He was staring down receivers, and they made him pay for it, pick six. So settling down, going to the sideline, talking to Sean McVay about – what they need to do to get better. So they didn't change much game plan wise. He just got better. Now they did run the ball more effectively. They kind of took the game away from him a little bit in Minnesota, ran the ball with Sony Michelle. But once he settled down and started becoming more accurate, the offense moved. So it wasn't a schematic change. It was more, he was just on the money in the second half. We're talking to DeMarco Farr, ESPN LA 710 Rams analyst on Spain and Fitz. There's Spain, Jason Fitz. So, DeMarco, this weekend, 49ers, we're still not sure who the quarterback's going to be. How are the Rams preparing for two different quarterbacks that have two different styles? Well, you're preparing for two, and this is funny. The the next time the Rams beat Jimmy Garoppolo will be the first time. I know, mm. right? Of all the quarterbacks they faced, Rodgers, Brady, everyone, uh, Kyler Murray, uh, Russell Wilson, the one guy they can't seem to beat is Jimmy Garoppolo. This is the strangest thing in the world. Um, and the only team San Francisco can beat in this division seems to be the Rams. And I was just reading this quote right before I came on with you guys. It was uh, from tight end George Kittle about, uh, about being physical in this football game, and it's going to be a body bag game. Well, that's what's been happening. Uh, the 49ers haven't done anything – really dynamic they've just absolutely punished you on the field and up there in november it wasn't even close so um it, it's not anything you can fix with x's and o's or scheme you're going to have to play those guys nose to nose and turn them back they think they can beat you you're going to have to convince them otherwise it's spain and fitz sarah spain jason fitz talking to espn la 710 rams analyst former player demarco far demarco you know we focus a lot on stafford of course because of what they gave away to get him because we know this team made the super bowl with golf but what else are you looking at outside of stafford that has you you know either concerned or you think could be exploited Ooh, could be exploited offensively speaking, um, especially when it comes to the 49ers. Their defensive line is just going bananas. Uh, I think it's something like 17 pressures or more in the last four weeks alone. Bosa is a problem. Uh, The Rams offensive line, especially at left tackle, it's older. Andrew Whitworth is the first 40-year-old starting left tackle in the National Football League. Uh, But he's phenomenal. He's been great, and this offense is offensive line friendly, especially when they run the football. They can keep a balance. But if you stop the run, if you force it into an obvious passing situation, and if the Rams get behind the chains, uh, third and medium to third and long, and you can just pin your ears back and go, that's going to be an issue. That's going to be a big problem. Uh, That was the problem during the three-game losing streak. Tennessee absolutely ran them over. The 49ers did them in as well. Uh, Green Bay had a great pass rush, a great day against them up in Green Bay. So that's the concern. If they can't run the football effectively like they did in Baltimore, at least keep the defense off balance, and you're over-relying on Matthew Stafford, eventually that defensive line is going to get to you. Talking to DeMarco Farr. DeMarco, has the Rams' defense been good enough this year? 
Say that again. I'm sorry. Has the Rams' defense been good enough this year? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I think this defense is the strength of the football team. Um, Aaron Donald continues to be unblockable. Um, kind of like Cooper Cup on the on the other side. You know it's coming, and you still can't stop it. So defensively speaking, yes, you can get pressure on just about anybody. Leonard Floyd has been great. Von Miller has rounded into form, ended the game last week in Baltimore with a sack. Uh, he's been great. So they're starting to heat up at the right time. Jalen Ramsey out on the edge at corner or in the star position, like kind of that hybrid corner safety role, is dynamic. He's a violent player, and he can shut down your best receiver. So absolutely. And with the, all the turnovers that Matthew Stafford has committed and the offense, coming up short a few times. This defense has bailed them out time and time again, and it looks like they can keep going with this. So imagine if you play even or if you have a lead and you force a team to do what the Rams want to do, which is rush the passer. Yeah, with the way these guys are playing, absolutely you can make a run on defense. I'm curious about the tweet that's at the top of the list of your account. First of all, I'm curious, why is it, why are you baby whale? <laughs> Long story. Um, Pop Warner football. Uh, I was kind of like the baby Huey. You know, you you you've seen me before, Sarah. Uh huh. Um, I have. I, I look the same as I did when I was twelve, except I'm older. So, and I kept making mistakes on the O line. They said, <laughs> "Well, he's a baby whale with a pea brain." So, oh no! Oh no! <laughs> All right, it's stuck. It's stuck. All right. Well, uh, baby whale tweeted out. A couple days ago, 49ers week, no smiles, oh, yeah. all biz, hate red. If you sold your ticks to this week, you're dead to me. All right, talk Go to on. me about this week 18 matchup. I don't see you. Yeah, if you sold your ticks. I was walking in the building to do a video thing for, the, for, the, for digital, for Rams digital, and I heard that there might be a problem with some Rams fans selling their tickets to the 49ers. So that's where that tweet came from because it fired me up. How dare you if you call yourself a Rams fan? But this week, <laughs> huge. Um, I learned in 94. I came into this. I came from the University of Washington. I grew up in the Bay Area, so I was not a part of this rivalry. But Jackie Slater was a great guy, very jovial through the week. And all of a sudden, when we lined up to play the Niners, he changed. And all the veterans did. So I learned then what this rivalry meant and how much it meant to our guys. Then I started playing. And I understood why they hate the 49ers and their fan base. So I pass that down to the next group of Rams. I hope <laughs> that keeps going forever. This rivalry will never end. It's not that you hate them. You just hate losing to San Francisco and their fan base. DeMarco, if all things go well, the Rams end up with the two seed. In your mind, can they beat the Packers? Wow, man. Um, you know what? Uh, <laughs> I think they have a good chance. Here's something that... Um, could be a big factor coming down the stretch. Cam Akers is coming back. The Rams' former starting tailback. Um, he's coming back. He blew out his Achilles, uh, a miraculous healer. He's going to come back, and he's going to be active against San Francisco. So he is your best running back out of 11 personnel, one tight end, one running back. Sean McVay loves to attack out of 11. So that was going to be the plan until he got hurt. Then you had the switch with Sony Michelle, more of an inside runner, Two tights, three tights, run the ball for power. Now that Cam Akers is coming back, you have your best 11 personnel running back, which is what McVay likes, and that 13, that pound and ground game, that ground and pound situation with Sony Michelle has been working for you through this four-game winning streak. So you get the best of both worlds. You get a back that can control clock and a back that can make you t pay for personnel. So 
if anybody or any group has a good chance of upsetting Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, it's the Rams with Cam Akers back at running back. If there's anything I'm sure of, baby whale, better than baby shark. DeMarco, we appreciate you hanging out with us. Thanks so much for the time, man. Happy New Year. You got it, guys. Talk to you soon. DeMarco Fari, ESPN LA 710 Rams analyst. That's an upgrade, I guess, right? To go from baby whale to baby shark? Well, look, I'm not going to. got a song about you. There's no chance that I'm going to accidentally bump into baby shark at a party somewhere. I might bump into baby whale, so I want to make sure I give the praise the right way. Like, this is simple it's a, it's all about making sure that i protect myself all right we've asked you some poll questions including lovable athletes and weird statues we'll get you the breakdown on the responses next spain and fits on espn radio spain and fits the podcast you know sometimes we ask poll questions mm-hmm. knowing that we might get controversial answers mm-hmm. and sometimes i just figure when you're posting it that we're on the same wavelength and for mm-hmm. once today i don't think we were and nope. I'm learning that I, I like me and Twitter have a lot in common. I'm not sure if I feel yeah. good about it about that. Spain yeah, and Fitz on ESPN Radio, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and we put out some questions, put it up on the poll over the course of the show. One of which was a picture that we uh, was tweeted of Dirk Nowitzki and his uh, statue that has been made, and it looks like he's shooting a basketball. But they decided instead of one basketball to sort of put the trajectory of the basketball above his head. Multiple times. Multiple basketballs. Right. Multiple basketballs are above his head, which we thought we would put out there and say, wrong answers only. They're connected because it's a statue. Yeah. So you can't have floating balls. They need to be connected. So there's a small thing connecting the three basketballs yeah and you know I'll, I'll go to from the dr pepper twitter feed we got hit up on spain and fitz nation kaz by the way just said i'm trying real hard to give you all an answer that can be read on air that <laughs> echoes a sentiment we had for many people as yeah. it looks like creative a, a yeah. particular kind of bead let's just say it looks like beads yeah. like mm-hmm. beading it be- beads does look like a necklace of beads that you might wear sure um, we'll go with we'll- and that's what I'm going to say on the air for Disney. Yeah. But what I will say, and I mean this with all honesty, somehow my brain, which is always in the gutter and sees things that aren't there that no one else sees, I didn't see it this time. I thought people were going to say other things. I did not see what they're saying. So I somehow missed it. That's my bad. My entire feed is now uh, either just flat out saying what it looks like or really clever gifts or turns of phrase to not say it i think the best one is the gif from the cartoon of cinderella where the mice are putting together cinderella's dress and one of them has a tail that has beads on it for the dress um that one i've never thought of that way before now can't ever again see it any other way uh, maybe we should move on. Yeah, Cinderella's been ruined for me for life. Yep. Uh, Sarah Spain, yep. Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz. Uh, th- this is actually going to – sometimes we put these polls up and I get a little like, man, because you know you're going to get blown up for two days with, with randomness and you're going to continually mm-hmm. have to look at it. This one I feel pretty good about. I feel pretty good about you putting that up, so I appreciate it. By the way, we did get some votes for Martini Olives for what that's worth. Yeah, yeah, uh, sure. That's what we thought yeah, it was. We'll go with that. Uh, also, uh, out on the poll, we asked some people in honor of the Tennessee – uh, the Tennessee politician that tried to pants an official 
we asked everybody <laughs> what would be as you know what's what's another solution. I I said wet willy. The by most the ridiculous thing that you can do in the middle of an of an actual fight with someone. Look, I, can I, you top pantsing someone? I I was trying to get there, Sarah, but I'm shook at this. I look back at Twitter and I'm just getting more and more on the. Yeah, on I was the, like, okay. he's really tripped up here. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm done. I don't yeah. I don't want to ask what you tripped on. I'll just say, uh, yeah, get uh, out of your menchies. By There's, the way, they're not a place yeah. for children. Uh, it looks like I, I'm butchering the name of this, but Javier, I'll just say his first name. Javier hit us up, Spain and Fitz Nation, on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Uh, said some Larry Moe curly eye jabs. Like, uh, I'm, I'm in for that. Or truffle shuffle. No, he said truffle shuffle. He said shuffle, truffle shuffle. Which My would bad. be ridiculous, although I don't know that it would have a negative effect on the person you're fighting. Like, a depantsing is insulting. Somebody else pulling up their shirt and jiggling their belly. Uh, it would be ridiculous, but I don't know if it applies here. I think the Larry Moe curly eye jab, the throwing of a shoe, which someone said, someone did take your answer, which was a wet willy. I think those are up there with uh, uh, equally ridiculous things to do in a genuine fight, which this guy was irate at this ref, and his brain somehow said, try to pants him. Yeah. (laughs) By the way, I'm stunned as I see some people that have sent us uh, gifs of wet willies uh, to to different like is there is there, there's something for everything like there's a gif for everything at this point <laughs> I, I I I cannot believe that that exists out there but uh, I'm glad that more people thought wet willy it makes me feel like man, I'm a, I'm right in line with Twitter tonight you know the yeah, beads I don't and the know wet willy feel good about yeah, that that's probably fair uh, I do feel good about our other question which was. Uh, the the positive from Dirk is the fact that Dirk is so beloved, and uh, it made us really think. What what were your top three? Who are your top three athletes that are Hall of Fame level? We're looking for Hall of Fame great athletes that everybody just loves. They're beloved, and one of the answers that has come up repeatedly on social media, uh, an angry Bears fan, Dadman pointed out, was Walter Payton, like mm-hmm. uh, the, the Walter Payton Man of the Year award. Like you think about Walter Payton, that that is just uh, the, it, you say it. And even if you're not a Bears fan, everybody says, yeah, Walter Payton. Like, that one felt right. I agree. He said Muhammad Ali. I agree in retrospect, but he certainly was not someone that people didn't have poor things to say about at the time. Um, Mike Trout is a good one. Other than complaining that he doesn't talk enough, he is a universally kind of liked guy. Uh, at MC in 412, uh, went with all horses. Secretariat, Seattle Slough, and Seabiscuit. Oh, Seabiscuit took drugs. I was going to say, Seabiscuit, no chance he escaped the ire of the fans who alleged that there was some improprieties going on. Just too dominant in his time. Um, These are the ones that we got the most of. I'm going to speed through them. You tell me if there's one that you think, "Ah, I don't know if that applies. Uh, Griffey Jr., Tim Duncan. Grant Hill. Yeah, I'm out Roger. on Grant Hill. Grant, 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 Grant really? Hill. Really? Yeah, I'm out on Grant. He played for two. No, what? I'm out on Grant. Nobody likes Grant. Oh, Hill. come on. Nobody likes Grant. Hill. I disagree. Everybody likes Grant Nobody Hill, despite Grant the Duke Hill. thing, which yeah. is really impressive. Uh, Federer. Oh yeah. Marshall Falk. Jeter. Jeter's an interesting one. I think for the most part, people liked him, but like the gift bags and the vibes sometimes, I wasn't quite in the same level to me. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm sort okay. of. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Ernie split Banks. On. Okay. Pau Gasol. Mm-hmm. Steph Curry. The only criticism of Steph is like old heads who think he changed the game for the wrong thing, but I don't think there's any real criticism. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm I'm good with Steph being on there. Okay. Roberto Clemente, Giannis, Greg Maddox, Barry Sanders, Sue Bird, Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, 
I don't know about Gretzky. I mean, like, there's what some interesting stuff. Was it gambling or his wife? Yeah, and like, like something. Gretzky, the front office hockey guy, wasn't That's all fair. that beloved. So That's like, it, it, it hurt a little bit of yeah. He's he's beloved and he's believed to be the great one. It's a great nickname, but yeah, maybe not quite up there as like totally infallible. Yeah. Uh, Steve Nash, mm-hmm. Cal Ripken Jr. Tamika Catchings is a great one. Oh, Never yeah, heard a bad sure. word yeah, about her. Sure. I, I was telling you during the break, or maybe this was on the air, I think it was during the break, that like female athletes are tough for this because to get a superstar MVP, almost all of them are super well-liked because so much of being a professional women's athlete is the combination of being great at what you do, being a role model, selling tickets, being, you know, it's kind of built in in a way that it isn't for men and isn't expected. So I think so many of the greatest women athletes of all time are super well and, and then there are the exceptions that sort of stand out for the opposite. Um, also heard Reggie White, Jordan Spieth, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bosh. Those all kind of work for me. There were a couple that came up many times that I thought, uh, Peyton Manning, there was an incident in college a lot of people don't know about or some people don't care about, but that one comes up. Tom Brady's affiliation, sometimes politically and otherwise, that's not Yeah, yeah, Tom Brady's not beloved. Tom Brady, yeah. No. Uh, Allen Iverson, you guys, he's got some serious domestic violence what? issues in his past. I mean, yeah, yeah, do some research. Uh, you could be very beloved and game-changing and liked for a lot of things, but there are certainly people who are going to have issues with that. Same goes for Larry Fitzgerald. Not a lot of people know it but he's not as infallible as you might remember. Some of those suck, and it's frustrating. In fact, we've talked about this, Fitz. There's people that have been offered to come on our show that we want to talk to, and it's like, ah, yeah, well, sorry. There's some stuff that like can't be forgotten and glossed over just because they've got a big name and everyone would be excited to hear them. Yeah, universally beloved is harder to get tough. than I think that you know we think of really in the moment, tough. especially because when you're not just talking about the existing fan base but to all fan bases. That's part of what Dirk did. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.